Okay, good evening. Um, I'm, I'm back. I was thankful for Jeff for switching up our order as I had an interview last evening during, during our church service. So, um, and this is, a, this is a really good lesson tonight. It's a very challenging one, and it really hit me in a lot of, a lot of hard places. And so I, I hope that, that you are able to, to gain some knowledge and wisdom from it. Uh, we're going to watch our video per our usual uh, mode of operation, and then we'll get started. excited about the chapter that you just read, Crucified. Um, This is not talked about enough in churches, um, at least that I've visited or been a part of. And because of that, it's almost like trials and suffering take us off guard. And people even walk away from God because they didn't understand that trials were going to come. Because people aren't honest up front, explaining the cost of following Jesus. So when it gets difficult, they're like, oh, I didn't know this was going to happen, and it didn't work for me. It's like, well, if you understood, if you had a good theology of suffering, um, that would have solved a lot of this misunderstanding of the events of your life. Uh, This is so fresh to me because, okay, I just got back from Israel, and I was teaching through the book of Mark. And it was so clear as I went from place to place where Jesus taught and I thought through the events that took place in this place and this place and this place, how much the people were with him as long as things were good. But the moment he mentioned suffering, that's when the departure would take place. And it never hit me until I was... uh at standing at the at Mount of Olives, thinking about the triumphal entry. And you're standing on this mountaintop, and you've got these masses of people about to head in Jerusalem. And think about what they've seen so far. In fact, it's very possible that Lazarus was actually in that crowd. Okay, so imagine all these people, because Bethany's right there. And so he passed through Bethany. He's on the Mount of Olives, about to end in Jerusalem. All these people are going nuts. A lot of them that knew a man who had been dead for days. And that guy might have been even traveling with them. People that have been healed of leprosy, blindness, paralytics. I mean, the stories have gone on and on. Meanwhile, Jesus has been so strong about the religious leaders and about any. I mean, he was just above everything. And so everyone's screaming, the Messiah, Hosanna, this is it. We're going to go. We're going to take over. But then the moment he's betrayed and his words start echoing about him saying, no, I'm actually going to go and die. Remember that. Remember when Peter confessed Jesus, oh, you're the Messiah, great, great, great. But then once Jesus explained, well, the Son of Man's going to have to suffer, Peter's like, no, no. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Why, Peter didn't want that story of the Messiah suffering? No one did. 
They wanted this Messiah to be this triumphal, let me you take away all the pain, all the sickness, all the government, all these false leaders, everyone else just take over. And once he starts suffering, they start leaving. And when it comes time, those same people who are screaming Hosanna are screaming, crucify him now. And I'm scared. And how many people have been taught a gospel that doesn't include suffering? That doesn't include any cost? When the truth is, is Jesus was so clear, following me will cost you everything, but it is so worth it. All the temporary trials compared to what you'll have in the future. Following Jesus, he made it so clear. You cannot be my follower unless you deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And so this week, be honest. Be honest. I know this is new material for some of you. But study the scriptures, read the scriptures, see, am I making this up? Or is it just that we've isolated a few verses and preached them over and over, rather than preaching the whole counsel of God's word? Because it was very clear to me when I was in Israel, whoa, it was the suffering he called them to, and that's when everyone left him. And some of you today may find out that you never really decided to follow Jesus. You wanted to be forgiven. You wanted to make sure that you weren't going to go to hell. You just wanted forgiveness of your sins. But you're not really a follower of Christ. You don't really get the good news. And so, I prayed a lot for this chapter and will continue to do so that the church really would rise up and understand this is not some sort of second-level Christianity. This is what we're called to. We're called to surrender this life for something much better in the next. And as we lose our lives here on earth, we're actually going to find it. And we'll actually, like Peter says in First Peter 4, actually be able to rejoice in our suffering. And that's what I'm praying for. When we become rejoicers in our suffering, that's when we become unstoppable. And I think that's the kind of church we all want to be a part of. All right. So, this lesson is titled Crucified, this chapter, and um, very fittingly, as he talks about the necessity, the importance, rather, of the doctrine of suffering in, in Christianity. Um, and I think this is probably the largest obstacle for most individuals when they come to Christianity and are, are thinking about following Christ is when he asks, you know, commands, rather, that 
will suffer with him. Um, so in Luke 14, 25 through 33, we have it up on the board. It says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he, all that he has cannot be my disciple. I thought back on when I became a Christian, and I, and I remembered um, a, a good friend of mine named uh, Ray Young, some of you may know, and he, he was there and he said, uh, right, have you counted the cost? I, I'm really excited for you, and I want you to do this, but if you haven't counted the cost, I want you to wait a week. And I said, no, because my dad had talked to me about it before, that he t- I remember him telling me, if, if you're not able to, to do it, if you're not able to fulfill what Christ wants you wants you to do in your life, I don't want you to be baptized. I want you to be sure. And so I just kind of wanted to ask, was anyone else here? Were, were, were most people here uh, when they became Christians uh, asked to consider and count the cost? You can share. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I knew the language, but I didn't know what the cost was. Not then, not at all. I still don't. Yeah. Uh-huh. In my old church, everybody counted the cost of coming to It was part of the study period. Okay, yeah, that's awesome. So everyone in their church, they, they made sure that they studied studied the, these passages. And, and I think Jeff is absolutely right. You can't really know the cost until you have to pay it. Um, so as we uh, continue to get into this study, are we expecting this kind of commitment or are we satisfied with less? Um, if we, uh, you know, were to list what we valued in in this life, uh, you know, would we truly be able to give it all to God? So some of the things most of us value are our families. Um, we value our jobs. We value our friendships. Um, what are some other things that we that we value. 
value our stuff, absolutely. Our, our spending habits convince us of that. Our time, absolutely. Time is precious. So, value our freedom, definitely. Our comfort, absolutely. We value all these things, but we're commanded that if we are to follow him, that we have to renounce all of that or we cannot be his disciple. And that's what he says right at the end of of verse 33. Um, And so I think in in my life, I've I've struggled with with that and, and struggled with seeing and being able to, to sacrifice everything that I have for Christ. Um, so I, w- I want to ask, you know, I think, I think our desire for Christ, I think we do de- desire Christ, but we desire all these other things equally, and in some cases more than Christ. Do you think that's the case? Is that what you've seen in your experiences? And that might not be the case for you. I'm just saying that's where our issues, our, our struggle to fulfill this command comes in. It's not bad to desire a family or to desire friendship or t- you know, free time, leisure time, or comfort. But it's when those desires equal or outweigh our desire for Christ that we get into trouble. Yeah. Right. Uh, the, the word renounce is not a word that I use very commonly in my uh, day-to-day language. Yeah. Um, I have my own idea of what that means, kind of associated with, with sacrifice. But what does renounce actually entail? What does it mean? That's a really good question. Does anyone have any any ideas or thoughts? Yeah. It's always a black and white kind of decision. I mean, I think all of us, you know, we're we're immersed in our culture that surrounds us, and I think there's times that we're very strong mm-hmm. and we stand firm and, and we we honor the commitment that we originally made to God. But I think there's times also when we're weak. Yeah, and we tend to be uh, swept up by the culture and and. And sometimes we don't even notice it. I, I think for that reason, it, it's not so much a black and white decision. I mean, it is, and yet it, it's not a one-time decision. It's Absolutely. a decision we make every single moment of every day. And, and I think a big part of our success in honoring that commitment is surrounding ourselves with the right uh, people, with the right uh, environment that, that, that helps us keep our eyes wide open so that we see culture for what it is and that we don't let it creep into our lives. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I definitely agree. You know, we're not all going to be, you know, I, I don't think we should all go out right now, sell our houses, sell our possessions. Um, but it's having the mindset of 
if that was required. So if someone came in in need without a, without a thought, you would give up what you have for them because what's to be gained from Christ is so much more. And having the attitude that our stuff is next to worth, worthless, um, our money, our time, because we're going to live eternally. And so when, when we have that mindset and put that into perspective, it really makes a difference. And so going back to what you said, Chuck, about what that, that word renounce means, I think, you know, it is a daily, a daily thing that we have to commit to, a daily renouncement of this world, of our possessions, of everything that isn't Christ, so that we can be with him and have a, a completely pure love for him. Yeah. Um, I'd like to use another word here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reminded of the Old Testament where God said, um, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Uh-huh. Absolutely. If there is a career path that you think you would like, and you start to think about it, match it up to what it looks like it might turn into if you do it that way relative to your service to God, and you're saying, I don't know, I don't, I'm not sure that's going to work very well, then you renounce that career path and go another I've known men who have <laughs> he told me that. Yeah. 
Absolutely. It's always weekends. You're never able to go to church on Sunday. And you're away from your family all the time. It's that kind of thing. Yeah. That I think it's a matter of choosing rather than hating or loving. It's what he's really saying here is choosing. Mm -hmm. He says it over and over. Jeff. I think that's a super important point to make. There's so many different scriptures. Uh, Psalm 139 says something really similar. Do I not hate those who hate you? I hate them with a perfect hatred. Uh -huh. uh, he said, I love Jacob, Jacob I love Esau, I hate it. Uh, the word hate in Hebrew and Greek, it means to stand against. And in English, it's an antonym of love. Uh -huh. And it means devoid of love. And that's not what this language at all means in Scripture. Right. You are supposed to love your enemies, even while you hate them, because you stand against them. And you know, it's, it's, this is a tough scripture because I think we can, as Chan said, easily we could under-apply these things. But I actually think we have to be careful not to over-apply these things. Yeah. And what I mean by that is I would never compare myself to these people who were going to lose their relationships with their moms and dads because of choosing Jesus. They were going to go through extreme poverty. They were probably going to have to give up their livelihood and a lot of these things because of these decisions. And so even though I, I do think it's healthy to apply these verses to us, in, in some ways, I don't feel right about looking at the blessings in my life that God has showered us with. Mm -hmm. And I'll go back to what we used to talk about all the time, the freedom that we have to even have these discussions. And then to compare it to the suffering that Christ promised they were going to face. Yeah. And so that's why I like the language that you're using about the willingness, because on the one hand, I celebrate the blessings of God that we have today because of them. Right. On the other hand, I think that we're in a lot of danger with these blessings because we're not put to the test in the same way that they were. Absolutely. And so I have some ideas about how would you react, how would you respond in this situation. But until you're really put to the test, sometimes you're not exactly sure. You know? Right. And, and, you know, the Lord judges the heart and sees what's really in you. Um, and we know, you know, from other passages, such as this one, First Peter, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Um, you know, we, you know, are, are extremely blessed in this country and, and safe from really persecution. Um, we might have some people call us some, some mean names, but short of that, what threat really is there? Um, and so that definitely shelters us from having these fiery trials that we see our brothers in the Middle East and China facing. Um, and so, you know, do we have, I guess, a, an appropriate view and understanding of suffering, especially as the, the kind of suffering that, that is talked about in the Bible and and a proper respect for it, I suppose, is, is the way I would phrase it.
do we have a, uh, I, I guess, just a earnest understanding so that if we do face this level of persecution, we would not fall away. Do you think we're prepared for that? Yeah. What's wrong? And I, you know, and I think, I mean, I, I agree with the comments I've heard. I can't hear everything, but I think there is a level that we might be missing, maybe, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all pretty influential, you know, in, in our families, especially. It's easy to get carried along with a godliness when. Yeah, we, you know, that is a, is a good point to make that at some point in your life, if you truly are following Christ, you will experience, um, you know, suffering. You will experience persecution. And, you know, I, I really think that just dying, you know, what, this, this chapter is titled Crucified, and, and when we are, are baptized, we're crucifying, you know, putting to death our old self so that we can be raised in the newness of life, as he says in Romans 6. Um, and so, you know, that sounds like suffering to me. Um, and I want to ask, let me, Um, you know, so this kind of goes back. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. 
you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will also keep yours. And, you know, we live in a society that is very much concerned with you accepting who you are and loving who you are and what your heart desires is what you should seek. And no one else's opinion matters. And no one else should judge you and you should be able to do whatever, whatever you want, um, which is a, a very anti-Christ message. Um, he does not want, he wants us to seek his desires. We, we gave up, you know, what we wanted when we, when we accepted him on in baptism. And so do you believe that we do a good job of, like she said, you know, when, when other people see us of representing what Christ desires and, and so that, you know, the world hates us. Do we do a good job of, of showing and living our lives which are so contrary and so opposite of what the world does that they say, I can't, you know, that's wrong, that's evil. Your, you know, your beliefs are backwards, um, and they reject us. He, he speaks about, uh, he, he spoke with a minister in China and a minister in, I believe, Iran, about, you know, the, the church there, and, and they're just in such persecuted areas that the, uh, the five pillars for the church in Iran, the minister told him, were, was uh, commitment to prayer, the word of God, sharing the gospel, expectation of miracles, and suffering for the glory of Christ. And they taught those to, to each member. Do we have suffering as one of our lead doctrines is one of the things that we are, are expecting and anticipating. I think if most churches put that on their website and, and broadcasted that, they'd have a lot fewer Sunday and, and Wednesday attendance. Do we do a, a, a good job of making it clear that you know suffering is part of following Christ and a big one at that? Yeah. I think suffering is part of human being human. Mm-hmm. I, I think we, we suffer for Christ, and I think that's different than suffering in the world. Because there is definitely a worldly suffering when we're called things that are sin in the world. So people, I think you have to make your choice whether you're going to suffer for Christ or you're going to suffer in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you might not realize it, but 
everyone. I mean, if, if you're on this planet, you, you experience death, you experience pain, and, and all, all that goes with this life. Um, and so you absolutely, you know, even people in the world experience suffering, but our suffering is with purpose. Yeah. I, I certainly can't uh, claim that I've got it down pat, but over the last 10 years or so, I've really been looking at, at my relationship with God and, and how it all fits together. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, a primary foundation for me is that my relationship with God is, is not any different than an engagement, a marriage commitment mm-hmm. uh, to Christ. And we're called the, the bride of Christ. And so with that fundamental idea in mind, it's helped me to relate with my sweetheart to my relationship with God. And when you're married to somebody, or when you get married, there are things you give up. You don't go out with the guys. Mm-hmm. You don't have your Saturdays free. You don't have this, that. But the desire to do those things also disappears. You'd much rather be with your spouse. You'd much rather um, be at home with the kids. Um, and you think, what did we do before we had kids, for instance? <laughs> um, but at any rate, that basic fundamental principle of looking at things from the standpoint of my relationship with God is, and comparing that to my relationship with, with Lois has helped me to, to kind of work through this. Not to the point of when I would call suffering anymore, because I do things because I want to. But yeah. Right, and it's not that we're masochists or enjoy suffering for the sake of, of suffering, but you know, it's like you said, the the reward is so much better than anything we're enduring here. Even the most painful torture pales in comparison to the glory of Christ. Um, in Mark chapter 8, he says, he calls his disciples and tells them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? And so just talking about the, you know, I don't even understand the worth of a soul, let alone the worth of an eternity spent with Christ. So why would I forfeit the worth of this world, which, as you, you pointed out, includes suffering to begin with, when I can suffer for Christ and gain eternity? Um, in Matthew five eleven through 12, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then 2 Corinthians four seventeen says likewise, for this light momentary affliction, and this is Paul, who, if you remember his list of sufferings, was... Far worse than I think anything anyone in this room may have experienced. He calls it a light momentary affliction, is preparing 
for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And, you know, this, this chapter, it's not, you know, our mindset isn't about suffering. It's that we have the mindset of the reward of God. That when you have that mindset, when you have eternity as the, as the end game, all, everything else is minor details. Um, and so we have to strive to have a mindset that allows us to see things in the perspective that God sees it in. That we have eternity ahead of us and everything pales in comparison. In the chapter we're memorizing, Romans 8, 16 through 18, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so I just encourage you this week as you, as you pray in the morning and the evening and throughout your day that you will pray to adopt a mindset of, you know, this light affliction that we're experiencing in this world when, when we compare it to our reward and try and use that when you make decisions, big or small, Put it in, into the context of eternity. How will this decision impact my reward? How will this decision impact my walk with Christ? And if we can, if we if we obtain that mindset, our lives—that that's how your life is able to be filled with joy. That's how you're able to smile when, when you're, you know, how they were able to smile when they were being, being stoned, being beaten, because it just pales in comparison. Um, so as we, uh, as we close out, let's uh, bow in prayer one more time and uh, go to God with, with our requests. Dear Father in heaven, as we again approach you, we are just so thankful for uh, all of the blessings you've given us. We're thankful for the sufferings of Christ and we're thankful to be able to participate in them, to share in them, that we may be lifted up in his return, that we may be participants in that glory and that you will continue to show us the ever vast and incalculable nature of your love. We're just so very blessed, Father, to to only be in be able to talk to you, be able to listen to your word, to be able to commune with our fellow believers, and to be able to share in the sufferings of your Son, of which we are not even worthy. We thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us and pray that we can continue to live lives that reflect what you have done for us so that others would know that we belong to you. It's in your son's most holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.